The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hi, this is Jim. And this is Bax. Check out our podcast, The Step Over, Liberty Ballers Podcast Network, for all of your Sixers needs. Player analysis, game breakdowns, who would look coolest in a headband, and more. Subscribe to Liberty Ballers podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and check out The Step Over, a podcast about Sixers basketball. Mostly. Michael Kist, Benjamin Solak. It's the Kist and Solak Show, presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak Show. This is episode seven, brought to you by RPO Nation and RPO Green Nation and uh, you can follow me at RPO Michael Kist uh, <laughs> NFL. This episode sponsored by uh, yellow flags, yellow clothes, yellow everything that's yellow or a flag. Ideally, yellow flags. Just the the <laughs> um, the intersection of the Venn diagram. This episode is brought to you by flags. This episode is brought to you by Red Zone Incompetence. <laughs> brought to you by the Atlanta Falcons. Again, Michael Kist, your host. Best doggone co-host in the game with me, Benjamin Solak. We're recording right after the game. Uh, follow Benjamin at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, uh, this was a wild game, and I could talk about this game for conservatively 17 hours. I just want to say that when I led off the show, the preview show with you, and ranted about the red zone offense for the Atlanta Falcons for conservatively five minutes when your boy is right, your boy is right because that no, was bad. Mad respect. That was <laughs> un like after the after the first drive where they got stuffed on fourth and one. I said, "Listen, obviously, you know Julio <laughs> didn't necessarily get the targets that Julio probably deserves down there, but I really like the third down play call. Obviously, yeah, coming out in twenty three personnel is a little aggressive, but then you motion out to a three receiver sort of a set, and you get Devonta Freeman." On Nate Gary, that's a great situation. That's a good play call. Poor execution. Should have been six. So after that first red zone drive, I was like, I was defending Sark. I was like, listen, that wasn't too bad. Then they got all the way back to the five. Or no, wait, that was the last drive. They got all the way back to the 15 later. No points. They got all the way back to the five. No points. 
how? That's how? unbelievably ineffective. Like, you have to try intentionally hard to not score points when you're that close to the end zone. That's amazing. Defenses give up. Like, like go look up red zone percentages for touchdowns in the red just for the league. You have to be totally incompetent. And then in the second drive, so in the first drive, they take Julio out on third and fourth down, and they go jumbo set, which was crazy. And then third down, they, they miss Devonta Freeman. And fourth down, they they do that toss where they try to jam 11 people versus 11 people into one small space. And, of course, there's no space to work with. Kamu Grugier Hill did a great job on the edge there, setting his edge. The play was strung out by everybody else, and he was there for the tackle. Then the second time, they get in the red zone early in the game. And they come out in bunch, and they've got Julio on the outside. I'm like, oh, they're going to run some intersecting type route and try to free up Julio because there's going to be some attention on him. Eagles are running man, probably running like banjo switch where they can pass off routes. And mm-hmm. they just run a speed out with him to a cornerback that already has outside leverage that's going to man him up anyway. Like It was a total waste of Julio there. Then, we, I mean, we of course, final score, 18-12, Eagles win. That's the most important thing. And how it comes about is... The Falcons get into the red zone again. And Ben, did you notice they were running Julio from the three, right? So you're counting wide receivers, one on the outside, two inside of that, three inside of that. Julio is in the three. They're bracket coveraging him inside, outside. They try to run that that route to him straight up the seam. They try to throw it to him twice. How unimaginative and how vanilla and stupid can you be knowing you're going to get the double there and you don't try to free him up whatsoever and then what a fade a 50 50 how yeah they were in a little intersecting type deal where on the release he switched with sanu Mm. but it was the most uninspired play calling and and in the first half after after the half they said oh you know we got some more packages that we're going to run in the red zone uh this half where were they what were they They were high school packages listen (laughs) i don't hate the fourth and goal fade to me, and this is just law of numbers at this point, I have Julio Jones on either Ronald Darby or Jalen Mills. I probably put him to the right side of the formation to get him on Mills. I run the fade at least three times. It's Is it a high percentage play? No. Is it better than anything else I have right now available to yeah. me? Yes, because none of my other plays are working well. I've been very ineffective in the red zone, so might as well get back to basics. And point C, it's Julio. Yeah. Maybe it's point two. I don't remember. It's Julio Jones. Listen, but you can, he's one of you the can best. Blame, you can either blame the coaching leading up to that with the double teams, or you can blame the execution because he was out of bounds anyway. Either Matt Ryan let him out of bounds or Julio ran his route too wide. Right. Like, it now, was just bad. Yeah, that fourth down play, Julio gave up so much space. He he elevated backwards. He did not elevate vertically, right? right. And so he was already putting himself in a bad situation from the jump. But hey, uh, move him a little closer into the formation and run it again. Oh, wait, it's fourth and goal. You have to do this. And what's so sad, here's what's, here's what's just painfully sad to me. Their touchdown was on an inside zone run inside the 10. It's yeah. just the easiest, the most basic, like day one install run. I want what I want to do is I want to sit down with Sark and be like, "Tell me what your team's good at. Like, what is your <laughs> offense good at? Do that. You're rarely, if ever, putting Julio as the innermost slot anywhere except for the red zone. You do it a little bit on third go- uh, third down situations, mm-hmm. but really they don't do it that much. So what are you what are you, what are you doing here right now? Yeah, this, this is not this is not necessary." I think they came out with that fullback constantly and that first drive and then got super skittish of that in the red zone yeah. where really that's the one spot you should maybe actually be using a freaking fullback. Yeah. yeah. Oh man. It's, it's, it's <laughs> like, it's at the point where because 
like Sark knows that that's a problem and the Atlanta Falcons offense knows that it's a problem. It's in the same. It's just become a self-perpetuating circle. It's yeah. just become a vicious spiral where like they just outthink themselves and they outdo themselves. And obviously revisionist history is so easy, right? It's very, it's effortless for us to be able to say, oh, this is a bad decision or whatever. Um, but I really think they're in a bad spot with it. I will say that fourth and goal fade never should have happened because of all the penalties oh. and, and, and missed calls and non-calls, which are like, you know, we we do our best on this particular show not to really discuss them that much. Man, calling illegal contact on the goal line is something. For that, yeah. Yeah, it's not, it's like not in the, like in the rule book that like, oh, like this rule gets lessened in the end zone. But the reality is like defenders are going to get connected to receivers in the end zone because it's the end zone and there's nowhere else to go like you can't go you're not trying to get downfield there's no more downfield guys yeah oh wow not only that we saw and look i thought devondre campbell the linebacker for the atlanta falcons did a fantastic job in coverage and it's a big advantage for Mm -hmm. the falcons when you have linebackers that can match up with zach Ertz and duke riley matched up with dallas goddard had great coverage him on the vertical scene but we saw just as physical coverage at the top of the route by devondre campbell on Zach Ertz, and I called it great coverage. And you know what? Jordan Hicks is at the top of the route, and if the tight end wants to wants to come in and they both initiate contact, let it go. There were so many soft calls on both sides. And I'm not, again, I hate blaming referees for anything. Yeah. I just thought this game was played, just called real soft. Too many flags. Let me tell you who I'm going to murder. You want to know who I'm going to murder? I'm going to make a tradition for the 2018 season where I choose one person to murder after every game. Is this a player or is it uh, like an ancillary? It's it's anybody I want it to be. Trust me. Chris Collinsworth is very high up on the list (laughs) as far as potential murder guys. Everybody already knows I don't like Chris. I'm going to go with Al Michaels because he said that the Atlanta Falcons ran an RPO on second and 25 and literally everyone was pass blocking. It was the most ridiculous thing. Yo, Michaels puts so much like unnecessary accent on names that are like not natively English, like Nelson Aguilar, Ajayi. Mohamed Sanu, like he's like throws all this like pizzazz on it. That's like a little uncomfortable for me. It's so bad. No, Michael's having a rough game. Uh, yeah, Michael's clearly felt marginalized by Chris Collinsworth's liberal usage of RPO. He wanted to kind of uh, snag some of the thunder. And so he started using it all the For time. For everything. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, like before you'd see uh, Ryan like fake the handoff, pull the ball, and Miles be like, ah, oh, that's an RPO. Like we haven't even seen the rest of the play yet, Chief. Like we don't really know what's going on. But no, my uh, my murder for the game is Trey Sullivan, man. I was furious. Oh, I, I you know what? We're, let's let's talk about this because I want to talk about some some turning points in the game, and that for me was a big turning point that is probably that yours. Was was bad. Huge. Like if the Eagles lost the, this game, we'd be looking back at that just being like, you dunce. <laughs> because and I, I was I went through the rule book trying to figure out if you could be thrown onto a loose ball because <laughs> he was around six guys that threw him onto that thing. Yeah, but he can't no, be like in that situation, right? So you definitely can't be like thrown into a loose ball. That being said, Sullivan, while he was being dragged, obviously, was actively engaging <laughs> with the <laughs> opponent and was clearly like trying to generate some displacement. What are you doing, buddy? Like, ah, oh, that's sort of like in a slop fest game like this, where the slightest error is getting called or is causing problems. To make that egregious of a mistake, like, what what game have you been watching, man? You have your head about you here. Oh man, that was something terrible. There were there were three plays back to back to back. It felt like that really just took the momentum away from the Eagles after their go-ahead touchdown in the red zone. By the way, I want to talk about this real quick, and we're going to talk about these turning points. A turning point was that go-ahead touchdown 
by Jay Ajayi in the red zone. Ball on the one-yard line. You get a seven-man box because you go three wide. You get jet mm-hmm. motion. And not only do you have a defensive back trailing the jet motion man, but the jet motion man blocks Vic, Vic Beasley, gets in his way. So not only are you taking two guys out of the play, you're also blocking a bigger man with a smaller man because all he has to do is get in the way because it's a quick hitting run up right. the middle. And you're not trying to jam 11 guys against 11 guys like that to me is red zone play calling. I really liked that play call uh, from, a, from a individual player standpoint because mm. who had just been like the go-to as far as like short yardage, quick games, all game had been Aguilar. It's just been constantly, right. we're finding him in the shorts, we're getting him involved, oh, a little reverse, oh, a little like, you know, screen action, whatever, da 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 that, see that 13 coming across, the formation's big, eye candy. And oftentimes what you expect from Philadelphia in terms of jet motion is for him to clear uh, mm. that edge, clear the edge, and then it looks like a little quick screen or he's flaring out or something. But this snap came about, I would say, a second earlier than you would anticipate as a defender with what you've seen off that jet motion. So you get good push off the line uh, right at the snap. And then there, you said Aguilar just runs full head of steam into a pretty much stationary Beasley. All he's got to do is just be in his way for a small period of time, and you've got good daylight for Ajayi. I, I was impressed with Ajayi. Uh, he did what I anticipated him to do to a smaller defense in Atlanta. He didn't get much involved in the first quarter. Apparently, he was gimpy a little bit. It was like feeling out his foot on the sideline. Uh, but the Eagles' offensive line came out much stronger in that second half, Mike. They were struggling yeah. uh, to generate good displacement up front in the first half, I thought. Atlanta's uh, front four was doing a really good job. And this was a good note by Collinsworth. Uh, they were switching gaps. They were right. they were playing uh, you know, really fundamentally sound football with their linebackers, allowing their linebackers to flow very hard to the front. Philadelphia's offensive line turned up the physicality in the second half, which is surprising. Yeah. Usually the, the defensive line fresher in the second half starts to find an advantage. You saw that with Philadelphia. Eagles' offensive line stepped up in in a big way uh you know so ups for conditioning up for jeff stoutland uh they did thank goodness incorporate some more off tackle runs in the second half shout out to ajay's touchdown run uh which was little pin pull outside zone which is not your traditional outside zone but it's what they needed to hit because you saw Deion jones come flying downhill yeah. and then just get eaten alive by kelsey because he, yeah. he, he he he's got to take a much flatter angle on that and he didn't he came downhill downhill because that's what he'd been doing all game and they were able to catch an edge on him so very nice situational play calling when it mattered the most for sure so after one quarter of one net yard and a in a bad first half for the offense they come out in the second half they're able to run the ball more that leads to the touchdown of which we spoke with Jay Ajayi. They go up 10-6, and then you get the punt where Trey Sullivan touches the ball. That changes things. The defense gets a stop with Derek Barnett being offsides for the second time in a key situation in that game. I would like to say, just like as a note, I'd probably tweet a lot during games. I'd probably tweet a lot of analysis during games. I apologize for that. But I, don't. I saw <laughs> Barnett offsides. I saw him. But I know because my stream is behind the regular game, I can't get that tweet out fast enough before the penalty. But I would uh, like for it to be known that I saw he was offside. I was screaming at him and he didn't get back. And when I saw that flag, I was so pissed. Yeah, big penalties for him. And we talked about his snap anticipation being off early in games. It was off again in this situation in the first quarter. And then he was lined up offsides in that situation. And then guess who bails us out? Rasul Douglas. And here's what's Rasool. interesting to me about that interception. You've got Rasul Douglas again and Sidney Jones, and you've got Julio Jones, and I think it may have been Sanu. It doesn't matter. Either way, one of those two guys, it, one's going to take outside, one's going to take inside. If Julio goes inside, he gets Sidney Jones. 
if Julio Jones goes outside, which he did, he gets Rasul Douglas. Jim Schwartz trusted Rasul Douglas and Sidney Jones, two second-year guys. And Sidney Jones is a, a, basically a red shirt, and they rewarded him. Yeah, listen, uh, in camp, when they were working goal line, uh, it became very clear that the ability to banjo, the ability to just play outside, inside, and not track man, is up to the corners when they're in that stack. They communicate yeah. and they decide what they want to do in man coverage. And I know for a fact, because mm. he told me, Sewell loves to get the banjo call. He wants it every time because what does that allow him to do? It allows him to play with his eyes in the backfield and not have to turn his hips immediately. And Sewell likes to do that because Sewell likes to attack the football. Now, obviously, I had to turn his hips and run with Julio once he went down the field. But I can promise you, like having spent a good deal of time talking with Sewell Douglas, who's the man and is hysterical, <laughs> that they're like, like he wanted that switch on Julio so, so, so badly. He yeah. wanted Julio to come outside so badly, and he was—I I can't imagine how lit he was after that peg. <laughs> and then Matt Ryan, who I don't know, but his arm strength didn't look uh, fantastic to me in this game. What Pop an arm? What? what did he, he was underthrowing everything. I want—I want to go back and see if he got hit in the first quarter and like landed right. on his arm funny or something. Okay, so I'm not crazy because I thought it, it looked bad. That's the only thing I can think of because <laughs> I have never seen Ryan, who is a quarterback that I like a lot. Look yeah. just that bad. That was one of the worst performances I have seen from Matt Ryan ever, hands yeah. down. So you Thank get God. the <laughs> you get you get the interception from Asul Douglas. The defense bails the team out once again. At that point, four red zone trips, six points for the Atlanta Falcons. That's balling out for that defense. I don't care how incompetent the the Atlanta Falcons were from a play calling standpoint, from an execution standpoint, a defense taking a stand like that is more than just the offense. They did very, very well in that situation and hats off to them. The problem is fourth quarter, when it looks like momentum is going their way, they've got the lead 10-6. They get the interception in the red zone. They get bailed out again. The offense gets the ball. They convert a key third down with Nelson Aguilar on that nice little toss play, which is beautiful. You're like, oh, everything's clicking right now. This game is, I thought the game was in the bag. I'm like, this this thing is, now we're rolling. Now we've got the confidence, got the momentum. Momentum for me is a real thing. And I, th- I think we were rolling with it. And then Dallas Goddard takes a hit from DeMonte Casey, who was filling in for Keanu Neal, who, by the mm-hmm. way, wow, that would be a big loss for the Atlanta Falcons if he has yeah, a serious yeah. knee injury because he was knocked, came back. And that did not look good when he went down. Dallas Goddard takes a hit. Casey knocks it up. And Deion Jones gets the interception. And that's when the defense finally, finally gave one up in the red zone. And you're like, man, how many times? You, you knew Atlanta was going to score in that situation. It's just been you, How many times can you be in the red zone without allowing a touchdown? I mean, just eventually. Yeah. The law of average and is going to work And also, it's you. a quick turnaround for the defense. They're right. immediately on their heels. Shout out the defense, who had so many short fields to deal with. God. Uh, <laughs> never... By the way, uh, the fault of one Cameron Johnston, who had a wonderful game because <laughs> I never doubted Cameron. All right. I was one of the few. I'm, I'm patting myself on the back like twice. One episode here is not good. But Cameron, man, had a great night. He's got a boot. I can tell you, man, he can kick that thing. But shout out to the defense dealing with those short fields. I want to ask you about that interception, though, uh, the Dallas Goddard drop, because mm. I thought particularly when they gave us that. Uh, that end zone view, that behind the offensive line view, that you see Goddard release into the seam pretty quickly, uh, and you see him turn around for the football, and Foles lets that puppy sit for a little bit and then gets the ball out there while KZ is 
leaking forward onto that seam route. There's a reason that was the first seam route we had seen all game. It's because it's hard to hit seam routes against Atlanta when they play that single high and they let that kid come up and hit. In my opinion, you know, if Goddard's able to to catch that and secure that, that's a good play by Goddard. But that ball should either be out much quicker or it should not be thrown because you're basically putting your guy in a defenseless position with a safety coming downhill. Right. Which you can say whatever you want about rules changing how safeties hit and what our penalties are. It's a hospital ball. <laughs> safeties can still – that's what I called it. And I know a few people uh, disagreed with the hospital ball nomenclature. And I think it could have not been a hospital ball if it had gotten out quicker. But under the circumstances, that ball was out late. To me, that, that, that was – more so on Foles than it was on Goddard. Uh, obviously, again, a secured catch is possible and would have been a good play. Uh, but to me, I, uh, Foles, that was Foles' fault. I will say, man, Foles is bad, huh? Almost, he had almost two interceptions in that one drive. Ben, I was just no, no peeking. I was just going to ask you. We're going to play this guessing game that we like to do here. What would you guess Nick Foles' yards per attempt were? Four. Whew. You're generous because 3.44 yards per attempt. <laughs> Is he a running back? Yeah. <laughs> if if you don't understand yards per attempt or you don't look at it often, you're you're forgiven. It's kind of a you know more more nuanced stat. You know, I'm not trying to talk down to you or mansplain anything to you, but like normally you're is looking at is that legal? Like, is that, <laughs> I don't think that's legal in the state of Pennsylvania to have less than three and a half yards per passing attempt. Yo, Eli Manning without Odell Beckham Jr. last year, what was he like? Five point nine yards per attempt. Right. And you're talking I about two point five yards less. Laughing when we read that stat, and we were like, "Oh, <laughs> below six, that sucks." <laughs> he could, dude. He had great turnover luck. I mean, the the Goddard thing was whatever that you know, I, you kind of put that pick on him, but at the same time, he didn't throw it at a defender. There were a few times where you're just like, "Geez, dude, you got it." Maybe don't pass. Maybe maybe get a Jayin in the first half. Uh, we only got nine snaps in the first half. And we had to have that same conversation again of, you know, Ajay is going to get his touches. He's going to come in in the second half. Trust the process and all, all that stuff. But, yeah, Foles looked bad and off. And I don't know, man. I guess he did just enough to win the game because QB wins are a thing. But they really aren't in that situation because, uh, yeah, if he's always been better when he can hit that first or second read. And if he has to hold on to the ball a little bit longer than that, that's where he really struggles. And that's always been the case. Even after that Pro Bowl year that he had, the next year, he even came out and said that he was holding on to the ball more, trying to make big plays. And that's where he really suffered. Uh, I think he held on to the ball a little bit too much today and just didn't have the accuracy. And the linebackers for the for the Atlanta Falcons were shredding in coverage underneath until the Falcons got beat up, until Trafont got that knock, and then uh, Jones was cramping yeah. up or something like that. But Keanu Neal went out, and then you started to see things open up a little bit more. But until that point, like, I don't know, middle of the third quarter, late in the third quarter, those linebackers had that. That How many times did you see either Deon, Devondre Campbell, Duke Riley, or Deion Jones with super tight coverage on either Zach Ertz, Nelson Aguilar in the middle of the field, or Dallas Goddard. It was truly impressive. Oh, no, yeah. I mean, obviously it was something that was highlighted when we came back from the, the half. It was something that was shown kind of on the replay. Deion Jones, Devontae Campbell. I do take umbrage uh, with the claim that Deion Jones is the best coverage linebacker in the NFL while Nigel Bradham is standing on the opposite sideline. I find that very bold. But regardless, Deion Jones and Devontae Campbell, two of the, the top mover linebackers. Campbell wearing 59 always throws me off, but he's an excellent athlete despite the fact that he's wearing 59. Uh, so yes, those guys are fantastic. And then obviously when you get Duke Riley out on the field there as well, Riley's 
wonderfully quick in space and can be a good coverage man, especially on running backs. And then when you get Keanu Neal down into the box, Keanu Neal is a wonderful pass defender in that regard. Listen, you saw it. Uh, the Eagles have played the Falcons in three straight seasons. You saw it, I think, in, in all three uh, seasons. And you've seen it when teams go to play any of these Dan Quinn style of defenses in Seattle or in Atlanta. You don't attack the seams. You don't really attack the middle of the field. You have to be able to try to beat those corners in cover three situations. And what made the Seattle defense so good was that they had corners who could win in cover three, right? With with the Richard Sherman profile in terms of length and aggressiveness at the line of scrimmage. Robert Alford played a fantastic game, I thought. Oh, he a wonderful was excellent. game in coverage on the one corner side. Desmond Trufant also, I thought, had a good game. Not a stellar one. Had a couple ticky-tack uh, penalties that probably shouldn't have been called, which you can say about a lot of penalties in this game. But they, they had good uh, games there on the outside. Obviously, Philadelphia, I don't think, hit a pass that traveled more than like six yards in the air that wasn't thrown by Nelson Aguilar. You know what I mean? There was the one <laughs> little zone sit route to Zach Hertz immediately after Philly Special 2.0, which how have we not talked about that yet? I was going to say, we 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 have to, but go yeah. ahead. <laughs> you're basically just working the flats. You're working the flats and you're working quick slants if you can hit them, which Atlanta did a great job taking those away. Atlanta, because of the lack of Alshon Jeffrey, had the ability to really roll their corners forward, right. play very yeah. aggressively into the line of scrimmage, and then say, hey, Nick, beat us deep with Mike Wallace or with Nelson Aguilar up the boundary and, and and Nick's not able to hit those throws with consistency. And so yeah, the passing game was <clears throat> the passing game was incredibly limited for Philadelphia. Not surprised the yards per attempt was so low. Uh what it really came down to, which, you know, goes against everything we've been talking about all offseason, the running game kept them in plus yardage situations, especially in the second half. Obviously, 15 points in the second half versus three in the first half. They were able to keep themselves ahead of the sticks with nice rumbling runs uh, from JHI, especially picking up 30 yards after contact, five yards on first down, six yards on first down, getting themselves into easier third down situations. And then shout out uh, Darren Sproles coming back uh. from injury. He had two key first down conversions that really stand out in my mind, especially that third and six one where he caught the ball with like five yards to go and three defenders in front of him. And you just kind of knew in your head, like, yeah, Sproul's about to pick this up in some sort of stupid way, ain't he? And he did. Uh, So shout out to Darren for that. But still, it it came down to the backs and the flats. It came down to the quick throws to Nelson Aguilar and then picking up as much yak as he could. Talking about people that are coming back from an injury, that final go-ahead touchdown from from Jay Ajayi, where you get Jason Kelsey and Jason Peters pulling to the left. And I just, man, Jason Peters for me. Had a fantastic game. I was catching glimpses of him, and like mm-hmm. I don't know if he had a flawless game or not. Uh, I wasn't watching that closely, but he yeah, had a, a darn good bet. game. He looked darn healthy. Yeah, it's yeah a no, safe he bet. had a great game. Shout out to Stephen Wisniewski, who had a pretty good game, despite the fact that he's the liability on the Eagles' offense. According to Andy Benoit, yeah, exactly. Hey, we got no. Okay, so you were looking up a stat, and I, and I'm waiting to see if you've got it yet. Did you find that stat? Yeah. So here, well, I'll put it to you this way: there have been a lot more uh, games with less than 3.5 uh, yards per attempt than I ever would have thought. But let me just read you some of the names that have had these games. All right, 2017. In Nick Foles company. <laughs> 2017. Uh, Brett Hundley, Nate. Peterman, Brett Hundley again, Eli Manning, <laughs> Sam Bradford, Deshaun Kaiser. 2016, Blake Bortles, Blaine Gabbert, Drew Stanton. 2015, BJ Daniels. You remember BJ Daniels, Mike? The lesser of the Daniels. BJ Daniels. And guess who the other player was in 2015 to have exactly 3.5 yards per attempt? Aaron Rodgers against the 2015 Denver Broncos secondary. Oh, wow. 
uh, a 29 to 10 loss was held at 3.5 yards per attempt. And then anyway, 2014 gets Kellen Clemens, Andy Dalton, Zach Mettenberger. 2013, Kirk Cousins, Andy Dalton, Michael Vick, uh, Jay Cutler, Brock Osweiler, Blaine Gabbert. Let's safe to so say this is not company you want to be in. This is yeah. this is uh, bad, uh, non-illustrious, uh, what's that, like dull. This is dull, sad company to be in. <laughs> and despite all that, Philly special, yet again, they pulled it out. Dot the balls. The, come on, man. Like, listen, I'm pretty sure I'd have to go because it was at the first half that I checked the stat. I'm pretty sure that was their second longest offensive play of the night. It was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 15 yeah, yards. No, I just... <laughs> but seriously, how? I, I forget who it was who tweeted out, but somebody said, yo, if we lose, we still win because we ran the play again. <laughs> Obviously, a little bit different. <laughs> Uh, we still score. Uh, we still we picked up a first down on it. It's just unbelievable arrogance. It's just, it's just pure undiluted. Like, hey, remember that trick play I ran? That's now immortalized in history to an unbelievable degree. I'm just gonna run pretty much the exact same play on like a third down at the thirty-five because I can. Screw right. you. Signed, Doug Peterson. Uh, some some of the other things that uh oh man, how ballsy. Some of the other things I wanted to touch on is is we talked about uh, some of the deep shots that. The Falcons would or would not take. I thought I thought Jim Schwartz was pretty dialed in. They went Yankee, like we talked about in the uh, in the preview show. And I believe, let's see, that one was on first down. The Eagles saw it coming. They sent McLeod on on a blitz on that first and ten, and they saw that coming. And that was what was it from first and ten on their own thirty-two. If no, no, the thirty-two yard line one was the fifty-two yarder that Jalen Mills got bailed out on. So let's talk about this secondary. I thought Ronald Darby. Played a fantastic game, was much more sound in his technique, looked more comfortable from a back pedal because he doesn't open as early when he's than when he's in a shuffle and was able to click and close. Cindy Jones played well. Russell Douglas came up with the uh, with the big interception. Jalen Mills played played well for most of the game, and then he gets beat on that fifty two yard, which I thought it was a catch. I don't know why they didn't rule that as a catch, but another double move, another sluggo, again for Jalen Mills. My God, man, are we going to have to deal with this all year yet again with these freaking sluggos? And no, it wasn't a sluggo. It was a double move. I'm sorry. It was just a nice little stop and go, but come on. It, it's really quite bad because Mills bites on those plays when he's in a good position to defend them. Right. He's got a good angle. <laughs> right. It's not as if he's in a bad spot. They give him the stutter. He tries to recover hard on it, and then they beat him. He had great positioning for a potential deep comeback like he would have closed right down and he would have been over the top so he would have had to come around the receiver to make a play like get his hands into the catch it's not like he was gonna have a pick or something but he was in great position and he 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 takes the cheese so hard and that's not good when you're leaving a guy like that in the deep third i mean it's known at this point right like it's very well known across the league you can get this guy in this way the long and the short of it as far as darby goes to me is he looks he looks back to 2015 2016 quickness right yeah. we're off we it's so important to remember with darby it's easy to forget we are off uh, i believe it was his 2015 was his rookie season then he had a great season then right yeah right he looked well on the trajectory to be a top 10 corner 2016 mm-hmm. i believe there was a, a, a scheme change different defense in buffalo a little bit shaky and now all of a sudden with a new regime he gets traded to philadelphia you have the injury an ankle injury for a corner who gets brought back in into the season that's that's probably not ever at 100%. a hundred percent a 100 percent ronald darby is so agile and it's really very very it's very valuable for an, an eagles team that needs that you know cornerback one that true guy now 
Ability to stay connected down the field on Julio wasn't super great. Ability for 99% of NFL corners to stay connected down the field on Julio, (laughs) not super great. So we're not going to count that against him. He had very positive flash plays, obviously good coverage on that last play. Two pass breakups that come to mind as high-quality plays. And then Julio beat him downfield a couple times, got open on the little pinch route, on the bench route, on the comeback, stuff that we've talked about. It's really okay. And what you saw, which I I really, really liked, was that Schwartz was far more willing in the second half to bring five uh, to force that ball out quicker when Julio's working those deep routes because they take time. They take a solid 2.5 seconds, the number that we always talk about as when to get the ball out. So if you start bringing five, you at least collapse that pocket a little bit more. You get a little bit more traffic near the feet of a quarterback who clearly looked very skittish around pressure. He was having a bad night. That's where you get balls that are inaccurate going to those isolation routes where it's Darby or Mills one-on-one against Julio. So really nice adjustment by Schwartz in that regard. I mean, Schwartz beat the pants off Sark for the second season in a row. It's, 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 we do not talk enough about Jim Schwartz's in-game adjustments and the changes that he's made. I know it's something I've said on the, said on the podcast before, but man, uh, Schwartz has really taken on the mantle of the, you know the, the analytics and the game planning that kind of Howie and Doug Champion. Schwartz is right there with him. So I was watching the Philly special thing last night that they had, along with the the Americans game, America's game thing, which was amazing. But they talked about that that play in the Super Bowl, the force fumble by Brandon Graham. And one of the things that they mentioned was that they wanted to put Cox on the right side of the line because they knew they were going to get the center slide that way. And it was going to free Brandon Graham to get a one-on-one against Jack Mason. That's what happened. And then the fumble happened, and that was the key play in that game. In this game, early on in the game, in third down, they put Cox to the right. I think it was the left side or the right side of the formation. Either way, they get that center slide. Right. And then Hicks comes along the right and he's got free one on one with Devonta Freeman. He doesn't have to worry about working through alignment or anything. They knew that they were going to get Hicks through there. They knew yep. when to blitz Ronnie McLeod. They knew when to run blitz him, too. I thought it was a really, really good game plan uh, by Jim Schwartz all around, who I don't ever hear a lot of people give Jim Schwartz a lot of credit. I thought he called a really good game front to back in this in this game to i mean just being up against in the red zone alone and only putting only allowing 12 points is a huge accomplishment listen you 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 mentioned his name adjacently so i'll just bring it in uh alex max sat out for the falcons as an all pro player yeah. andy levitri left guard for the falcons is a great left guard right guard brandon fusco 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 for the falcons uh, a player who put together a really good season last season a free agent addition wasn't super great with with the Niners. Had a great last season. Now he's here with Atlanta, so kind of unknown there. But he's an NFL he, starter. I mean, he beat out Joshua Garnett for that spot when Garnett was right. the ingrained starter there. Yeah. Now that's a decent interior, especially Mac. Obviously, a fantastic player. I don't think Cox was blocked once, man. <laughs> Listen, there were like if 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 the the quarterback were just like you know like a pin, like a, like a, a bowling pin or just like a, a flag or something, and. By taking an offensive lineman and putting him in the lap of that pin or knocking over that flag with him, count as a sack, Fletch would have eight sacks a game, all right? I can't express to you, like, like think, for example, the Chris Longstrip sack that was not recovered, but it was on like a second and 15 that made like a third and 20 or something, right? It was Cox and Matt Ryan's face, and that's what made him hold on to the ball, and that's what gave Long time to get there. Chris Long 
like didn't lose the rep, but if you're an offensive tackle and you can push the defensive end that far behind the pocket, like 10 yards behind the original line of scrimmage, it's yeah. very irregular that he gets back into the play. It doesn't typically happen. What has to happen for him not to get back in the play is that there can be nowhere to climb up. And Fletcher Cox takes up <laughs> so much space in the interior. He offers so much to the Eagles pass rush, especially their edges, that does not get put into the box score because he took a good interior, a good top 12, top 10 interior in the NFL comfortably. Yeah. And just violated him snap after snap. Like, oh, no, there's no Timmy Jordan again. This will be a problem. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Week one, evidentially, it's not going to be too much of an issue. And not only that, not only is he just like an upfield disruptor that, that destroys pockets, he's so aware in the screen game when he notices something fishy. And he sniffed out the one to Devonta. I can't imagine being Devonta Freeman and coming out for a screen pass. And you look to see where your space is going to be. And you see Fletcher Cox with no one around him just bearing down on you. That's got to be the most frightening thing in the world. And a lot of credit, again, to Chris Long, man. He has a nose for the football. And that's the most important thing Like that Wilson, I've heard him preach. And he did so again in the Philly special when they were talking about the Graham thing. But get finding the football. Chris Long had four forced fumbles last year and then comes in and gets one in the first game always making a contribution i love this pass rush this pass rush is awesome and you get fletcher cox just destroying pockets it's going to be a gigantic year for him you could tell i'm sure you could tell from training camp but when i got my first whiff of it was that preseason game against the pittsburgh steelers and he just just discarded top tier guard in uh, david DeCastro on the steelers and i was like this dude's about to have a monster season and it's looking real good for him i have two final takes one, I think, on the probably the last positional group we haven't touched yet. Mm-hmm. And then the other, you mentioned preseason. There's a big, you know, kind of, oh, this game's super sloppy because uh, the players don't play enough in the preseason and they're not super locked in. I disagree <laughs> with this take. I'll disagree, tell you why. Yeah. Is because I don't really think the starters care about the preseason at all, uh, which I don't think is a shocking revelation. So I don't think any of their preseason reps, they're going to be 100% mentally and physically engaged. And I think you know, that's that's not shocking to anybody. Nobody's running around, flying around, hitting people. Like, you know, the starters trying to take people's heads off in the preseason. Nobody's super locked in, especially the veterans who are starters. They've seen this all before. They know the regular season's coming. You get the more preseason reps, it's just more like 80% reps. That'd be my theory. You know what I mean? That, that That's... This is my my belief. It's not super founded. Anything could be totally wrong. Maybe more preseason games help. I don't see that. Take number two is we haven't talked about the linebacking core yet. Kamugrushe Hill is good. All right. Kamugrushe Hill was all over the place. He's great as a Sam. He's great as a Will. He's he's great as the end man on the line of scrimmage. He's one of the best edge defending linebackers who's not an actual 3-4 outside linebacker I've ever seen. He's fantastic. He had that that stuff on the goal line with Freeman. And other than that, he, he played real well. He has, he's a great blitzer off the edge. He can bend the corner really, really well. Like, Any, yeah. like why isn't he rushing more well? Um, <laughs> and then, no, he's fantastic setting edges uh, in the running game in that regard. He's super physical. He flies to the football. He's got great flexibility, which is underreported, underappreciated. He made multiple plays that stood out to me last night. We should feel very good about Bradham Hicks, Camus. Nate Gary, oh. no, no. No. But Camus is great. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, I didn't think Nick Gary played well at all, and, and you get him in the well, what was it, the the first driver, the red zone driver. You get Devonta Freeman in the in the slot, and Nick Gary is trying to cover him, and then and then later on, I think it was the next red zone drive where 
he had to what was it he faked like he was getting picked or like he hit the tight end on the way to try to get freeman because he was so far behind and they ended up throwing to the tight end matt ryan missed that read too because he had freeman on that wheel matt ryan missed a bunch of reads in the red zone but here's the thing don't ask your quarterback to make reads in the red zone. It's the most crowded short area place ever. By the time he mentally processes what's freaking going on, it's, it's not going to be a window there anymore. Red zone should be pre-snap determined throws, or if you want to make him make a read, allow him to roll out so everything is flowing in one direction. This is my take. Or same side. Or same side. Half field. Give him. It give him at least a one-two bang-bang read. Like for me, that that wasn't what they were setting him up with. Okay, Ben. I'm sure we have to do. Three words, three word recaps, because you put it out yes. there on Twitter. This is good. This is something that we're going to be doing after every game. One of us is going to ask for three words from you, gentle listener, on Twitter to describe this game. Uh, Benjamin Solak at Benjamin Solak put the put the uh, tweet out this time. Ben, what are so, I haven't seen him yet, so I'm actually kind of ex- uh, I'm very excited for this. Listen, here's the thing: I haven't seen all of them yet either because we used to do this and get like 11. And I've got 72 responses right now. <laughs> so we're going to read through. I think the main account retweeted us. Uh, I'm just going to read through a few of them. Oh boy. Obviously, we should start out with the king, the cult leader, Brandon Lee Gowton, uh, who just hit up Big Balls Doug, which is always a classic. Yeah. And it should be noted, yeah, I mean, Douglas, man. I mean, you can talk about Philly Special 2.0, but you can talk about that last game-winning drive. He's a fantastic play caller. You have some yeah. questionable decisions in this game, as there always is. Uh, but, oh, all in all, it's wonderful. Uh, also, shout out Betts, friend of the podcast, who um, his first word was big and his last word was Nick and the middle word rhymed with Nick. <laughs> and that was his tweet, which shout out Betts, gotta love Betts. By the way, if you haven't if you haven't heard Fireside Chats with Betts, no, no, it was on the Kist and Solak show. It was on Kist and Solak yes. show number four. That Fireside uh, we... Chats is not good enough. It's not important enough premium time slot for Betts oh, at all 22. You're... You're killing me. I have some great conversations <laughs> on there. I'm actually I'm scheduling Duke Mannyweather right now of OL Masterminds, Duke? and uh, he's been working with Lane Johnson, so that's going to be fun. But yeah, the the RPO uh, protecting Carson Wentz episode of Kiss and Solak has a fun interview with Betts. Thank you for chiming in, Betts. All right, uh, at Brandon Ekstrom says that just happened, which <laughs> yeah, accurate. Tyler Morales at underscore T Morales. Thanks, Steve Sarkeesian. Yeah, honestly, game ball, Steve Sarkeesian. I'm so glad he showed how smart I was. By the way. Like I'm, t- I'm just, I can't take enough credit for myself because I know I'm already, I'm already doing it a lot, and I'm hoping that mm-hmm. you'll help me here. But Steve Sarkeesian, shout out to you, buddy. You are the yeah, real making MVP. Making Mike looking mad smart on the free game podcast. <laughs> Got to pull that soundbite. Uh, at N one o says never in doubt, and then says do not check my timeline for proof, which I think is pretty funny. <laughs> I like uh, somebody asked Barnett a bust question mark, which is unnecessary. At Major Shock says Jesus almost unwatchable. Another one that made me laugh. Somebody said uh, Sullivan's last game at that deal Hilton, which is pretty funny. Oh yeah, DeAndre Hall, who we traded a seventh round pick for, was watching that play and going, and he's on a one game suspension, ah. and he was watching that that safety we got from the Bears going. Hmm, how about that? That's interesting. Because, uh, look, I watched some DeAndre Hall tape. I put an article on him on BleedingGreenNation.com. I think he's good. I think he can fill that fourth spot fantastically. So we'll see how that plays out. But it doesn't look good for old Trey. At Conorable Mention says too many flags, which honestly is pretty true. Um, at Buffalo Bernie, is this life? Which, yeah, I mean, here we are, man. Welcome to the 2018 NFL season. At BT Rossler, friend of the podcast, Bryce. 
Uh, yeah. says Collinsworth talks RPOs, which I really like because it sounds like this actual episode of like talk show, <laughs> which basically <laughs> that was at uh, Boris Dirks, who's Boris Dirks been giving us three words for a long time. Yeah, says wait and wait and hope. Which I don't know about you, Boris, but I'm gonna go to sleep and not hope. That's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna edit this podcast and pull my sound bites from the last episode that we did because I'm smart about red zone offense. Oh, uh, at Ta- T S Howland says I looked, but has no one done quote Ben was wrong? Which pretty sure we both picked against the Eagles. Apparently, I'm the one getting exposed for I it. I knew we were gonna broach this this topic, and it's important, Ben. So we might want to put away those three word uh, things because we need to talk about how Ben was wrong. And Mike's reverse jinx has worked again because we both picked the Falcons to win this game in a low scoring game. We both picked the under. We were both right on that. Right. But Ben just outright pick pick the Falcons to win. I had a a clear motivation for mine that was beneficial to the team as a whole. The reverse jinx always works. That's all we need to say about that. So we're going to we all we got. We. I was waiting because I was just going to do like the Skype hang up sound once you were done with that. That was pretty funny. Uh, Last one for three words. My favorite one. Completely inexplicable. Could not tell you what it's about. At Josh Sierra Mita, who's been doing this for us for a while, says horseshoe in bung. Oh, right. Something about horseshoes (laughs) and being lucky and close enough. I don't don't, don't know where that's going. Horseshoe (laughs) in in bung. Josh, hit me up and explain to me this very peculiar idiom, horseshoe (laughs) in bung. I'll ask him in the, uh, he's a scouting academy guy. I'm going to chat with him. I'll ask him what what the heck that means. We'll figure it out. So that's been three words (laughs) to recap this Uh, game. A beautiful inaugural episode of three words. A lot of content. So again, Eagles pull out the stuff. The season opener, their their defense of their title, 18 to 12 against the Atlanta Falcons. Next up here on Bleeding Green Nation, me and Ben are going to watch the film. I've got a lot of charting to do. I'm sure Ben is going to do the same type of thing. We're going to beat this up and, and, and tear this down and look at it from even nerdier angles than you could ever imagine because the season is finally here and we finally get to really go to work. So that's going to be fun. So we're going to be doing another uh, all 22 film work uh, show about this and we'll get you updated on all the injuries and and whatnot Uh, also i'm setting up some fireside chats and we've got some other other type content coming for you as we roll in through this long week um i've also talked with trevor sykema of pewter report and locked on nfl draft he's going to come on and preview the tampa bay buccaneers versus the philadelphia eagles trevor's a great dude man i got to party with him in mobile i talk with him all the time on twitter he's awesome he's great on locked on nfl draft you're really going to enjoy him we're going to have other guests like that. It's very important to us to bring on guests with different viewpoints so we don't just end up like an echo chamber. We want to talk with the experts about these teams that we're going up against so we can get a full understanding of what we're dealing with. Obviously, they have a game to play. There's a whole Sunday of football that you get to enjoy without having to stress out about your Eagles. They're 1-0. Ben, you got anything else for the gentle listeners? My last gift on this podcast to you. <laughs> just go on Twitter and search Eagles Jim Schwartz throws headset. This is a wonderful clip of after the Darby, you know, the game winning, the game ceiling play of Jim Schwartz just very fabulously chucking his helmet and his headset in excitement. It's pretty, uh, it's very, (laughs) very, very sassy. You see the look at the follow through with the hand up here? That was like a golf swing. He's like, and my job is done. (laughs) Yeah. 
man, you can tell that uh, he was he was pretty 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 done with this game, like we all were. As always, this Retweet. has been the Kissed and Solak show here at Bleeding Green Nation Radio. Uh, I've been Benjamin Solak on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S O L A K. He's been Michael Kissed on Twitter at Michael Kissed NFL. That's K I S T. He's still doing the Jim Schwartz headset throw <laughs> in the camera as we speak. <laughs> what a game, folks! Welcome to the 2018 season. I'm so much less excited about it now than I was like 48 <laughs> hours ago. Uh, but that was a good one. One and zero. Eagles well on their way back to Super Bowl 50. Three. Thank you so much for listening. We'll get back to you guys next week. Yeah, it's a big win, and it might have playoff implications down the line. So I'm glad we it won that. It's freaking better man. if we suffered through it. It better mean something. Oh, oh, it better. We all we got. It's been a long night. We all we got. We all we need. Fly Eagles, fly. Whew. Oh, you're gonna hit him with a caca? You see that oh, one? Right. That one? He he requested it. It feels very inorganic now, but I'll still do it. <coughs> it's been a while. Caca. We'll work. <laughs> that was pretty good. I, li- I like the, the I gave waving. It like a little, yeah, I know. Well, I wanted to kind of try to sound like a dying falcon. Hey, I'm Anil Dash, and I'm the host of a new show called Function from the Vox Media Podcast Network and Glitch. This season, we're talking with experts about why our voting machines are so bad and how that might hurt our elections. We'll also talk with an animator to find out how popular dances from the real world end up in video games. And we're going to tackle the biggest question in tech. Why do so many celebrities use screenshots from that Apple Notes app to make their public apologies when they screw up? You can find new episodes of Function every Monday on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And thanks to Microsoft Azure for sponsoring Function. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.